Coming to you live from Master Closet Studios, you're listening to the only podcast on the internet that really just doesn't really want to lose weight anymore. Never again. I will be fat forever. The Noobs and the Whovian. My name is Austin and I'm the Whovian. These are my sons, Corbin and Tripp. And, and we're, we're the Noobs. And this is the podcast introducing a whole new generation to Doctor Who by watching an episode every week and discussing it from the perspective of a dad who's seen it before. And two sons who haven't. So welcome in to episode 42 covering season four, episode one, Partners in Crime. This is the one where the doctor fights a nurse. Well, a matron. Well, matron Cofelia of the five straightened class of indie nursery fleet, intergalactic class. Hey, remember Donna? Well, she remembers the doctor. She's been investigating every strange thing that she can because she's sure he'll show up at one of them eventually. As it happens, she and the doctor both start investigating weight loss company Adipose and its owner, Mrs. Foster, and their clones of miraculous results. Something strange is happening. happening. Donna interviews an Adipose customer, and she vanishes, leaving behind the weirdest smurf Donna has ever seen. The doctor gets a ding on his fatty waddy detector and goes running after whatever it's found. After several near misses, Donna and the Doctor finally hilariously bump into each other while discovering the evil plan behind Adipose. Turns out the pill turns fat into cute little creatures, and Foster is really matron Coriel of the five stratine class of Bendy nurse fleet intergalactic class and the foster mother to a new generation of Adipose, and now her plan is to go into overdrive. The Doctor tries to stop her and eventually succeeds thanks to Donna. In the process, the Doctor discovers the Adiposian plan to eliminate Matron Cophelia and stops the Inducer from turning a million London residents into albino smurfs. Donna is ready to finally go with the Doctor, but he seems reluctant. He wants to make sure Donna is sure she wants to go. She is, so he is, so they do. But not without doing a flyby of Wilfred Mott's spot on the hill. The end. It was so hard to read. <laughs> Story number 189, originally airing April 5th, 2008, to 9.14 million viewers. This one was written by our man Russell T. and directed by James Strong. You know, I don't remember that name. Have we have we seen his name before? I think so. Mm, yeah, I, I think we I have. think we have. Okay, it's not ringing any bells. So I didn't I didn't look him up. He didn't uh, he didn't pop up on anything on my radar. However, our cast this week, we've got to do a little bit of cast work because we're introducing uh, a couple of new ongoing characters obviously we're going to start with donna noble uh, she's played by katherine tate katherine tate is absolutely nobody to most americans uh when she took this role mm-hmm. however in the uk on bbc she had her own comedy sketch show called the katherine tate show so that tells you something about the level she's at right she's got her her own show TV named after show. Her, with her name on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she had a very famous character named Lauren Cooper that I told the boys. Uh, she's basically uh, just a, an insufferable, annoying, disrespectful high school girl <laughs> and uh, named Lauren Cooper. And <clears throat> after she appeared as Donna Noble in The Runaway Bride, they did a, a comic relief sketch uh, together with David Tennant. So if you remember... We had a mini-sode just recently that was mm-hmm. a comic relief sketch uh, called Time Crash. Mm-hmm. The following year, after she had appeared, um, they had her and David Tennant do a sketch that starts out as a Lauren Cooper sketch. And uh, David Tennant is just playing a substitute teacher, rocking his full Scrooge McDuck uh, Scottish, Scottish accent. accent. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it during that thing he's wearing the doctor suit? He is. 
I feel like was it? I think so. I thought it was just kind of a black suit. Maybe I don't it wasn't. Remember? Yeah, I, think I think it, it was. was his suit though. Could have been. So at any rate, um, you, we'll. Uh, you know what? We need to put a link uh, in the notes. Yeah. Corbin, make me a note real quick okay. uh, to to link to that video because um, it's hilarious. It, it, it is. I, I won't really ruin funny. it for you, but it starts out with uh, just being a typical Lauren Cooper sketch, and then just sort of goes uh, goes on from there. Now she also, um, after coming back and playing Donna Noble. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, years later, she went on to star in the American version of The Office, and she played a character named Nellie Bertram, which, from what I can tell of the little bit I've seen of Lauren Cooper, is like, what if Lauren Cooper grew up and worked in a paper <coughs> uh, paper company? Um, she is my one of my least favorite characters <laughs> in the entire run of that show. Um, just annoying. Nice. And that... You said when we first met her, that's the character she plays, right? It's just yeah. the annoying... Um, yeah, yeah. In in The Runaway Bride, she was kind of playing that character, <laughs> that annoying, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, kind of rough around the edges and everything. And not to say that she doesn't remain rough around the edges, but when they brought her back on, they, they developed her character a little bit more. And apparently, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of resistance when she, when she first came on. Um... People, the the quote that I read was, people didn't want Lauren Cooper in the TARDIS, and if like that's, I mean, okay, so you guys have seen the comic relief sketch. Imagine mm-hmm. that character in the TARDIS in oh, Doctor Who. That'd be. It would. Be I would horrible. never watch it again. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, not so. I'd be, done, I'd be like, we can skip this season, but um, like, get out. <laughs> but it only took her a couple it's of episodes. Kind of what happened. What's that? The get out thing. <laughs> yeah. We don't need you. It, it only took a couple of episodes, apparently, to win over the, the fans, and um, she, I, I, love, I love Donna. I'm really excited to, to be covering this series because she has, um, a, I think I said this before, one of my favorite companion arcs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. guys know how I feel about Martha. You know, like, I th- mm-hmm. second time through, I thought she had, she had a better arc than I remembered, but she's still kind of a forgettable character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rose, I know everybody. I know people are gonna hate me for this, but Rose is just not my fave. Like, I haven't I seen them all, so I can't. Isn't Amy it. Pond your favorite? Um. Oh gosh. It's, I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think Amy Pond is amazing. Donna is a lot of fun, and Donna's. Um, gosh, I just. I, uh, uh, I'm trying to like dance spoilers. around spoilers. Donna's arc is awesome. I just. I love her arc. Um, there's so many things that 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 come back into play and it's just fantastic um but i would say that yes amy pond is is one of my favorites and um and uh oh my gosh all of a sudden my mind just completely can't went. remember clara oh gosh clara um clara osmond <laughs> like we don't know i would we say seen her i would say donna clara and uh and amy are are my top three and two of those names mean nothing to me well, yeah, you have to be watching this. That's, <laughs> that's okay. So, at any rate, um, a lot of people don't like Clara for some reason, and most people seem to love Rose. And I'm just like, ah, I mean, she's she's okay, like yeah. I guess. But at any rate, um, so we're we're gonna we're gonna see where Donna goes, and it's, it's so funny that she went from being a one-off character to actually being a companion, becoming a full-on companion. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're also going to mention Jeff Noble. 
Now, Jeff Noble Is that doesn't how you actually pronounce that. Uh, yes, it's G E O F F. That's that's mm. British spelling. For Jeff. Jeff. And uh, Jeff Noble is Donna's father, who we don't see in this episode. And the reason we don't see him in this episode is that actor Howard Atfield, who played him, passed away. And um, he actually was set to return as Donna's dad. Mm -hmm. And they even actually filmed some of the scenes for this episode before he passed away. And so when that happened, um, there was the decision made to introduce Wilfred Mott, who um, is her, her grandfather. And they had to kind of do some some interesting finagling. And what's funny about it is, if you recognize Wilfred Mott, who we're going to talk about now, actor Bernard Cribbins, um, he was, first of all, he was a very famous character actor. He was like that guy from that movie. <laughs> that, that's my loose definition of a character actor. He's that one guy from that thing. You remember? You know the thing yeah. with the guy? Um, he's that guy across like British movies and TV shows and stuff. He had done a lot of things. Um, and But we would recognize him from the Christmas episode, The Voyage of the Damned, where he was, as Corbin pointed out right away, I thought it was amazing, you recognized him right off the bat. Yeah. He was the newsstand guy. He was the guy who, when all of London was deserted... The second of, only person left mm, in London besides right. the Queen. Right, right, right. So... Uh, you know, London has been evacuated because they're tired of everybody getting blown up on Christmas. And so he's left in London. And so when he, when the doctor and some of the other people on the Titanic come and visit, he meets this guy who at the time is unnamed. He's just this old guy. In the script, his name was Stan. Stan. But yeah, for whatever reason, his name was Stan, but it's never said on screen. So they were able to. Kind of was that his retrofit. acting credit though? Because um, probably he seems like one of those guys that his acting credit would be guy selling newspapers. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like exactly. Um, and this thing is, I, I you know honestly I don't know. He may have been credited as Stan or newspaper guy, or he yeah. may have been uncredited. But in the script, he was actually called Stan, mm. but it was never said uh, on screen. And so they they retroactively say, hey, why don't we bring him back? And we'll make him. Is he actually the same character? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because we're gonna, and we're going to see an episode where, because uh, if you remember on this episode, the doctor waves at him, but he's just waving at a random guy that apparently is important to Donna. You know, they're way off in the distance. The doctor doesn't really see him. Later on, when they meet, he remembers him. He remembers meeting this guy uh, during Voyage of the Damned. Mm-hmm. So really, wait, <clears throat> what is the sequence? Is Voyage of the Damned? Before this one or after? It's before. Before. We already saw the Voyage of the Damned. Not in release order, but in continuity order. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because you had you had. The okay, end of so time. I like that tidbit where he's there. He sees the whole Titanic thing. He knows uh-huh. there's aliens, uh-huh. and suddenly he's out there watching the skies all the time. Right. Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing is he says, you know, he's he's sure that uh, and we're going to talk about this later, but he is sure that they're out there. Right. Mm-hmm. And he knows that because he was in London <laughs> when these three Christmases in a row, there was some sort of alien incursion to Earth. And his right? granddaughter oh, took part in one of them. Yeah. In fact, so it was the main cause. But he doesn't know that. 
Yeah, oh, he, he doesn't, doesn't know that. Yeah. But yeah, even still, remember in this episode, he says, "I wish you would tell us what really happened with you and what was the guy's name, Lance or whatever, the guy that yeah, was she was Lance. supposed to marry." Oh. first go round. Um, at any rate, so um, so Bernard Crimmins. So we we saw him in Voyage of the Damned, um, and and like I said, um, they they're actually gonna. We're going to see a couple of episodes from now in uh, the Santaran Stratagem. That's an episode coming up. They had they added a line in that casually mentions how Wilford had the Spanish flu, and that's why he wasn't able to be at Donna's wedding. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was actually something that killed like millions of people all over the planet. Oh. So he had a, he had a bout with a non-lethal strain of the Spanish flu, which is why he didn't make it to Donna's wedding. So they yeah. retconned. Well, if this is his, if this is Donna's grandfather, why wasn't he at the wedding? Oh, he had the flu. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I guess it wasn't the fact that we didn't have this character. I back mean, then. it's it's not like something like cancer would work because that's not contagious. Uh, yeah. Right. So at any rate, he um he they, was they, at the they, thing. You just didn't see him. Uh, yeah, I kind of thought that would be it. You know, like he was in. You know, he was in the other room. He, he was huh? in the back. He was now, in the bathroom. Interesting <laughs> tidbit about Bernard Cribbins. So he, I think right now, he's like in his 80s. Uh, and when I say right now, I mean right now, not um, During when this filming. episode was filmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's like in his 80s now. He wasn't in his uh, 80s while filming that? Uh, no. <laughs> no, he would have been, I guess, in his 70s or so. Um, he was considered at one point for the role of the fourth doctor. Wow. Wait, what? Yeah. Wow. So back in the day... He was he was up for the role of the fourth doctor, but eventually lost out to Tom Baker. Who he would have been a pretty young doctor, wouldn't he? Yeah, he uh, no, because this would have been the seventies. So, I guess maybe it's about forty be, years ago, more yeah, than that, something so. like that. So he was seventy years. He, he would have been like in his thirties or forties, depending on yeah. yeah. So um, so not too yeah. Not so too he would have been an average age. Um, yeah. Wouldn't have been, you know, like a super young, young doctor like Matt Smith and everything. But mm-hmm. how um, old is Matt Smith? Uh, oh, pff. when he when he played the doctor, he was he was the youngest doctor. I think he still is the youngest to actor to play the doctor. Yeah, I don't remember how old he was though. Probably in his thirties. Twenty-nine. So, um, so we'll we'll talk more. Um, th- those were the only. Uh, names that stood out to me i'm sure that maybe if we had done a deeper dive on some of the other actors like you know miss foster or whatever there probably would have been some stuff Those that she's done fosters but, yeah but we had to we had to get into uh our, our main companions here so um special effects we did have um some interesting cgi um as i said the the albino smurfs uh they as i said this time huh? albino smurfs. Uh, yeah as, as i wrote <laughs> Stick around for the blooper reel, guys. Holy cow. It's a long Set aside weeks. a couple of minutes. Uh, like and, 10, and get somewhere. 10, like, Don't be drinking anything at the time and don't be in public, okay? Because uh, <laughs> You look anyways. like a crazy man. CGI, um, the adipose, they were actually created using the software that Weta Digital used for the Lord of the Rings. So the Lord of the Rings... Like to create Gollum? Uh, probably. And, like, a million other things. I mean, like, yeah. so... There's so, a lot of CGI in the movie, actually. Oh, so. yeah. So, Weta Digital uh, cr- had to create software to do the stuff that they had to do for the Lord Isn't of the Isn't that like movies. what LucasArts did? They yes. created CGI software so that they could do uh-huh. Jar Jar Binks or whatever. <laughs> Go yeah. back over and do How Jabba the Hutt. dare you say his name in my presence. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they. Jabba the Hutt was actually redone in CGI, if you didn't know that. There you go. 
So they, they created special software, and that software got licensed by the BBC to make the adipose. And what did you say about the adipose CGI, Corbin? Uh, for the time, it actually looked fairly good. Now you know why. I mean, compared to, like, <laughs> Thanos or something, it's still nothing, but... Yeah, but compared to um, Dr. Lazarus last season... Or even uh, just the fire. Way better. It was... <laughs> <laughs> or even just a flame. Um, yeah, I did love... Um, you could, they were a little cookie cutter for my liking. They were absolutely, you know, 100% duplicates of each other, yeah. down to the little yeah. snaggly tooth, tooth that they had. Um, so I, I, wish I guess that was sort of the point. <laughs> but I would have. It would have been cool if they all had like their own little personality and stuff, you know, kind of minion style or something. But yeah, that would have been like Smurfs. Uh, <laughs> like Smurfs. Yes. Absolutely. So, all right, guys, let's get into the uh, checklist. Holy cow. Baddie of the week. Trip, tell us who the baddie of the week was. The Matra. Uh, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Matron Cofelia of the Five Straighten Classabindi Nursery Fleet, Intergalactic Class. Holy cow. That was probably one of those things that the actor took like a week or something oh just gosh, to learn just how to. <laughs> Especially how fast she said it. Uh, oh, yeah. It's like how the doctor it does it sometimes. Yeah. Right? Like, say all this crap in five <laughs> seconds. Like, there must be that must be part of the hiring process. <laughs> Can you speak Here, random crap this. really fast? Yeah, exactly. Read this. Say it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, uh, a couple of times. Uh, so this was one of those episodes where you had, like, the fake baddie of the week and then the real baddie of the week. So, like, the adipose, you know, start popping out of people's bodies. And oh, like, oh, man. And then you find out, oh, no, they're just, they're just babies. Well, they're just cute little babies. They're not bad. I, I wouldn't say as much that they're, like, fake baddie because it's obvious to tell that the the big head boss person oh, yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bad the first guy. first I saw this, I kept waiting for them to, like, all of a sudden, like, the adipose like are in charge. And, and yeah, yeah. All Beat of a sudden, up people. Just, they're literally babies. <laughs> like the scene. Born from human fat. The scene where there's like hundreds of them walking down the street. Is I was it? just thinking, oh, this is about to go bad. This is going to go really bad, nope. really fast. But this is where people with tanks babies. come rolling up and they just. <laughs> <laughs> that one part oh where gosh, the car <laughs> just runs over the baby adipose. <laughs> it's just like, car pulls up, slams on the brakes. <laughs> two of them. I was oh, like, there's oh, not okay, two thousand. They, they are made. They are made from actual fat. Nine thousand. So. Oh gosh, it was so so disgusting, but accurate. This yeah. nine thousand nine hundred and fifty-eight. Now uh, we got a we got a well. We got we got one and a half wells. We had one early on that we decided we weren't really going to count uh, because it's funny because during that well said, he had two wells in the same sentence, but neither of them counted. Yeah, I mean he wasn't really doing the well. You know. Well, uh, I mean a little. Bit, but not <coughs> not how he normally does it. What is happening with y'all two? <laughs> I am I'm trying to talk, y'all. I don't know what y'all. I got a little flip in my throat. Trip, however, is having a self-induced seizure. Um, so we had where uh, Donna asked him, "So are you still alone?" And he said, "Yeah." Well, no, I did, you know, he just like, yeah. well, I, I, I had Martha, you know, so in between the time that he's seen Donna, he's already gone through an entire companion. I like so. the whole, I wouldn't kill them, they're just babies. She's like, oh, Martha has changed you. Martha's <laughs> been good for you, yeah. Uh, so the running count on our wells is one. Uh, we got no I'm sorry's, no Alonzies, no what's. I haven't uh, we had many Alonzies in 
Yeah, we haven't had any while. Um, we did get uh, the best run so far that was just mouthed at the window during the pantomime mm-hmm. uh, encounter there where they're... I love the whole, they the just look over and suddenly everyone is staring at them. <laughs> it's like... I'm sorry, are we intruding? Did you think they would not notice? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, even when he put the stethoscope up on the window. I'm like, they could have easily excuse seen me. I was like, is nobody seeing this hand on the glass here? But anyway. So that brings our. It's uh, a movie or show. <laughs> that brings our run count up to two. Uh, let's see uh, some jibberty jabberty. Uh, we had a, a bit. Oh, this is kind of interesting, and we'll. Uh, well, I'll just read it, and then we'll come back to talk about it later on under who is the doctor. He says there seems to be a bioflips digital stitch specifically for. Trails off right there. Oh, it would have been more jibberty jabberty better if he hadn't trailed uh, off. Yeah, I'm sure it would have been. Uh, jiggery pokery when the doctor pulls a MacGyver maneuver. Um, we had oh lots of flashing of the psychic paper. I didn't make any notes about this, but I, I think the one thing I do want to point yeah. out about the psychic paper. Yeah, and I don't know if Donna ever actually saw it in use. I can't remember, hmm. but she does do the whole thing where she like. Holds up a random yeah. business card too fast for them to read. You know what I noticed? I think it was a credit card. It was. I think yeah. it was a credit card that had her picture on it. Mm-hmm. And that's enough for them to go, oh, well. Oh, it's official. Yeah, it's power. the same thing that the psychic paper does, except the psychic paper is actually psychic. Yeah, it actually does something. And she was just mm-hmm. flipping up a card and kind of holding it f- funky, so all you could see was her picture and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I did think that was that was pretty that's hilarious. Smart. Um so we had a lot about the Sonic, and it actually uh, inspired Jared for his segment later on, so we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, but let's see, the Sonic can apparently, not only uh, it works through glass across the room and can lock a door. <laughs> so that's, that's fun. Amazing. Uh, he mentions that he locks he locked the controls for the, uh, the, the, whatever, the window washer bucket thing. Uh, he locked the controls with a sonic cage. Yeah. That's the I, first I love that. that. I've locked it with a sonic cage. She shouldn't be able to get through unless she has a sonic, which is very unlikely. Right, and then right she then pulls, pulls out, out a sonic. Stand aside. I, I can open this door. Boy. I got this. I don't think that was how her accent sounded at all. Okay. <laughs> it's it's um, probably boy. not. But <laughs> that, was, that was my next note, though, was the, the dueling Sonics. We had the screwdriver versus the pin. That, that was, was awesome. And then how he holds the two together and it's like, I wonder what this does. And then just... Yeah, let's let's find out. Right? Best tenant teeth ever, as we said. Gosh, that was the best. Uh, we paused it there. We've, um, put, put me a note there, Corbin, because we need to get a screenshot of that yeah. um, and put that up there. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, she had a sonic pen. He thought it was neat. And Donna held it for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <gasps> is Donna going to get to keep the sonic pen? When, when did you think that. this? The first, the first time you were? Yeah, okay, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, no, the first time I was like, oh my gosh, is she going to get to keep the Sonic pen? What, what happened the to Sonic the Sonic pen? He threw it in the dumpster. He threw it in a trash can. Oh gosh. That was what I was about to mention was that he just Put goes, it on the ship. And chucks it in the bin. I was like, oh, just like the keys. Put and the weird the rose reference. Oh, yeah, that was really weird. Um, was really all right, so then we had, um, oh, Foster was, or the matron, whatever you want to call her, um, she was able to deadlock the whole building. I love that. And then they start <laughs> like banging the on the window with everything. a wrench. It's like, didn't think of that, and then did you? Yeah. What was that? Like trip? the windows, everything? Yeah, she said, oh. she pulled up a radio and says, deadlock, deadlock the, the building. Who is she and talking so What? Uh, 
uh, control. The only Dead two officials that we really, or three officials that we really see. I mean, it was her. their building, so okay. I'm sure she had okay. security yeah. people or whatever. Deadlock the building. I um, still love when they go <laughs> kicking down the doors and it's like, we know you're in there, and then the big surprise, there's another person was, in there. That was fantastic. That was good. Um, we also had the, con- the the Sonic cutting ropes. I think we've seen um, it actually do that before. Yeah, it did that with the uh, ladder. right? I don't know. Tenet did it once. Oh, did he? He uh, cut a ladder, and that's what dropped the cyber leader into the totally fake fire that he fell into way too quickly. (laughs) All right, with the noise. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. I I left these in because I was like, I'm sure these will come up. Who was Rose? So Mm. the first note that I have is, still trapped. And then the second note is, or is she? Because we saw her at the end, and I was like, "But then she disappeared." And then she, yeah, I wouldn't quite say she's trapped though, because she. um, Well, that's what the doctor said. Donna asked about her, and he said, "Trapped trapped. in a different universe, but yeah, it's she's in a universe that is almost in every way similar to ours. She's not physically trapped anywhere." Uh, Right. Well, she would rather get home. I'm sure. True. Um, and then who was Martha? Uh, doctor says she was brilliant, but then he destroyed half her life. And then, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Donna says uh, she must have been good for her, the doctor. Mm-hmm. And he, sa- <laughs> he said, yeah. And then he says, she fancied me. And she Just says, side note. mad Martha, that one. Blind Martha. Charity Martha. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> that just was keep piling on the insults amazing. there. Like, oh, man, she must be crazy or blind or she must have had pity on you. All of them at the same time. All right. So who is Donna? This will be, uh, you know, as we move forward, we'll explore her character some. Who is Donna? Um, Her mom is always on her case to make plans for her life. We saw some of that last time. Was that her mom? I thought that was her grandma. No, that was her mom. No. Yeah, because remember in in the, the last time we saw her, it was her mom and dad. And then now this go around, it's mom and now the grandfather. I don't remember picture. seeing either her mom or her dad. I don't remember either. Oh yeah, no, they were around. really. No, I remember oh, yeah. the dad. I remember the dad. Was it during the, the wedding room. scene? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Oh. Yeah, because remember, okay. there's there they decided to like have the reception party without her there and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So she was around. She wasn't a huge part of the episode, but she was around. Um, she, uh, she that is Donna, uh, regrets not going with the doctor that first. Uh, that first. You made snow her. from your TARDIS machine. I'm not going with it you. Freaked me out. A year later, please take me with you. That's right. Um, that's why she's been investigating every weird, dangerous thing that she can because she knows eventually he'd show up at one of those crazy things. She um, is right. Well, she turned out to be exactly right. That's how you find the doctor. Yeah. Um, And she says that she was a fool for turning down the offer to travel with him. Um, I did think it was funny that uh, she, like, literally had her bags packed. I know. that's In the back of the car. In the back of the car. It's her mom's car, isn't it? How did she not notice? I'm confused. Oh, that's true. Well, she was she was headed off to go investigate something weird, so she probably just true. threw all the bags in the back and whatever. Though we I did think it was interesting that. that the car was kind of TARDIS blue. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I'm kind of. Not it was a little brighter. Yeah, not quite as dark blue, yeah. but it was pretty close. Pretty I, l- close. I like how she points out the fact that he literally landed right mm-hmm. next to her, but she has no idea how close it was. 
Like Oh yeah, that he landed there right after she walked out of the shot. That is absolutely annoying. They like stand up, <laughs> go down. The other one stands up, go down. I thought that was hilarious. I, I thought that was It was funny, hilarious. but then it just started like, no. okay, when are they is <laughs> are they going to spin the whole episode and then at the very end it's like <gasps> You were here the whole time? <coughs> My favorite part was that you asked that question. You were like, are they going to spend the whole episode missing each other? You asked that question right as he was getting in the bucket and going down where he would see her through the window. Like, right at the beginning mm-hmm. of that scene, you were, you were asking, is it going to be the whole episode? I was like, ah, just wait. Just wait. Just, just wait. Yeah. Just wait. Um, so let's see. Um, who is Wilf? Uh, Wilfred, he's gonna he's gonna be around a little bit. By the way, Wilf is about as British a nickname as uh, as you're gonna get. Is that his nickname? Well, his name is Wilfred, and they call him Wilf. Okay. So I just that's that's hilarious to me. Yes. Um, he believes. Oh, I love that. Um, he's talking about Venus, and Donna says, "How far is it away?" And he says something like 26 million miles or 29 million miles. And he says, "But we'll get there one day." And we'll be up there with those aliens out there. So he knows for sure that there's aliens. Did he say aliens? Yeah. Um, I don't don't know if he said the word aliens, but he said up there with all those other ones out there. You know, like like Ah. he referenced aliens out there. Um, He's also, we know that he's an old army man. Um, I don't know if y'all picked up on this. Um, On his, he had his red hat that he was wearing, his little little beanie hat. Mm -hmm. And there was a little uh, pen and there was an insignia. Those were um, wings. They were, um, that's the insignia for the parachute regiment of, of the British Army. And did you pick up on that or did you read this? I did not pick, okay. I did not. Like, well, how do you know this random bit of trivia about British well, Army? I, I know all of the British military insignia. No, <laughs> um, no here's, what, here's what's great about that, is that pin in his hat, that is Bernard Cribbins' pin. That's oh, wow. his pen. He wow. was in the parachute regiment. Oh, and so he put that on his hat. He just decided to do that. And so <laughs> Let it, me add some backstory to yeah, this character. And it informs the character because as we go on, you're gonna see more and more of that that old there's this old World War II British mentality to him that's okay. that's really really cool did they add that in because of that i don't or is know it just uh, i don't yeah, or is I that don't, him kind of improving it to make it seem more like right that's that? the thing, like i don't know if he added the pin because he already had it established that he's a military his character was a military man or if him adding that pin made the people just go hey why don't we run it with it yeah bit. i don't know i didn't i didn't catch that so um that we yeah. skipped over TARDIS, didn't we? Uh, that's because we didn't have anything there, did we? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're sure. TARDIS oh. and random. Oh, my gosh. Very good, very good. Uh, so, yeah, so back up at Jiggery Pokery, the TARDIS, um, <laughs> uh, Donna comes inside. The doctor says, oh, yes, the, so the TARDIS, it's bigger on the inside. She goes, yeah, yeah, I know that bit. <laughs> She's already been in there. Yeah. That's, so I love that. We, she, was, she was the only one that made it on the inside first, wasn't she? Like yes, she yeah the first one or the only one that's or right something she was the one, like that yeah because she materialized inside of it and then walked out of it so she's mm-hmm. she was the first person to see it from the inside and then walk out and realize it's just a phone box yeah I mean, smaller on the outside yeah smaller on the outside yeah um and but apparently it's also very cold inside yeah she said I wouldn't mind it if you turn up the heat yeah so. that's a bit random. Um, just a random bit of jiggery pokery. I thought it was funny. Um, he had his little, his, his fatty waddy finder thing. Yes. And I totally made that up. That was not part of the episode, but, um, whatever that thing was, I wish it was he kept like banging. 
<laughs> it goes ding when there's fat. Um, he kept banging on it, and at one point he blew on it like a Nintendo cartridge. And I don't know if it was like... It reminded me of blowing on a Nintendo is that, cartridge. Is that something you do? I don't think that... Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't know about blowing on Nintendo cartridges? The only no. thing I've ever played is an NES Mini. So yeah, but I've never like talked to you about that. No. no. Oh, yeah, man. It was... It's Do you have to smack it and then blow on it? Uh, some people would tap it. Yeah, some people would tap it. But like, if you, if you would hit the button, sometimes the power the power light would just blink, and it wouldn't cut on properly. And everyone had their own ritual of how you got your Nintendo to work properly. And, and most people, on it? most people, it included taking the cartridge out, and you would you would blow blow through it like a harmonica almost. And um, and then stick it back in. Throw it on the ground, smash it with your foot a couple of times. Uh, no. Um, so one of our things was you pull it out, you blow on it, you stick it in, you push it down, you pop it up, you push it down, you pop it up, you push it down, you wiggle it left and right, and then you hit the button, and it worked every time, man. I'm telling you what, we knew how to do that mess. But um, it, it's Everyone really, would say their ritual worked. Uh, absolutely. That's why you had your ritual. Do you mind? Plug it in, or unplug it, plug it back in. Bam, it works. Exactly, yes. And uh, the, blowing on the on the Nintendo cartridge is just kind of a, a, a cultural touchstone for my generation. And what's funny is they've done, believe it or not, people have, have tested this idea, and they have found that um, not only does that have no positive effect, that if anything, the constant blowing on the cartridge just deposited more and more of your spit on the cartridge, which eventually would corrode the connections that you were trying to dust off. And if anything, it made your games deteriorate faster. <laughs> so it did nothing. Wow. So we see the doctor blowing on his little uh, his little fatty wetty finder uh, finger bobber. So. Maybe it was just taking it out and putting it back in that did it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But everyone had a ritual. We'll we'll talk more about that later. Show you all, I'll show you all some videos. I'm sure they're out there. All right, so who is the doctor? Um, we had in the in the bit of uh, Jibberty Jabberty earlier, um, we had a touching moment here where he starts in on some, some great Jibberty Jabberty and then looks up halfway through, and that's why he trailed off because he realized he was talking to no one. Yeah. He looks around the TARDIS and the TARDIS is empty. Because if we now, if we think about this, um, you know, for us, it's been a couple of months since we were in a normal episode. But for him, you it's know... It's been like it's a not, day, maybe? Well, we don't know, because the time between Voyage of the Damned and now, it's we don't really unclear. know. Unclear. Yeah, we don't really Th know That's how why creating a uh, Doctor Who timeline, that and time travel awesome. makes it incredibly right. challenging. Right. So, but it hasn't been that long. And he's, you know, kind of like, kind of struggling with... Yeah. Oh yeah, nobody's here. Martha's I would love here. to see them do an episode out of order that takes place in between, say, these two episodes. But those two episodes are five episodes away, something like that. That's where the comics and the audio and all yeah. that kind of stuff come in. Yeah, but I definitely yeah, love to see an episode do that, and it gives you little yeah. hints that it's not taking it's place now. Right. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, submit a script. Maybe they'll do it next season. And also have to, I don't know. Okay. Oh, yeah. Be a lot of work involved. Just have a sign that says twenty twenty, and then in the next episode says twenty twenty one. Something like that. A little little hints dropped here and there. Uh, we have uh, the Do Donna mentions that the doctor uh, is wearing the same suit. <laughs> she says, "Do you ever change your suit?" And apparently not. 
uh, I think unless there have been episodes where he wears something different. Yeah, I think his suit. Yeah, he's not always wearing the exact same suit. Long swishy coat. He must have been wearing the same suit that they were wearing that he was wearing the last time they met. So it'd be funny if he wasn't. <laughs> And they they just actually oh yeah they just that. yeah whoops uh, let's see he gave um, oh man the classic doctor moment here he gave the matron one chance to he's like I'm gonna give you one chance to stop this or else I'm gonna have to stop you and I've noticed that I've noticed that becoming kind of a, a pattern of his like he'll he'll kind of say look back down for a second be like back down now and we just forget all this ever happened but if you don't I will stop you. You know, and I and think that's interesting. You know he can. Uh, well, yeah, we know he can. You know, and the other person seems to never know because they never do back down. So. Yeah. Um, there's a line where somebody says, "What's happened?" and Foster says, "I think the doctors happened." I thought that was classic, yeah. classic doctor moment there. Um, Donna says, "I figured hot weather, cold weather, no weather. He goes anywhere, so I better pack for everything. <laughs> no so weather." Yeah, no weather. <laughs> well, space. There's no weather in outer space. Except it's cold. And how do you pack for no weather? Nothing uh, at all. Space suit. Oh. <laughs> space suit. And we, uh, we do, do have the, uh, the moment there where he would rather not be on his own. Yeah. You know, that, that's, it's clear. He would rather not be alone. He would rather have a companion. He's not sure about the consequences for his companions, but... If Donna's sure, then he's sure. So yeah, there we go. Uh, some random stuff. Um, Corbin uh, laughed pretty hard at this one. Where the when doctor, I finally got in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the doc. Uh, the the doctor's talking to a guy, and he says, "I'm not really a cat person." And the doctor says, "No, I've met cat people. You're nothing like them." I had to rewind that mm-hmm. one so that it was, they would catch that. And actually, the only reason I caught it because he kind of mumbled it. The only reason I caught it is because I had seen it during my research. Because uh, I've researched it ahead of time this time, so yeah. Um, something I'm gonna I'm gonna throw. That in was here. my favorite character, by the way, the dude. What? Oh, I know <laughs> you were so sad. You were like, "Oh, please don't let that guy die." What was it about that guy? I don't know. I just liked him. He was funny. <laughs> what was I funny about him? I like. I don't even know saying why. That, I was like, I don't even remember him doing funny? anything. I don't even know why. He just was. Oh, I funny. liked him. Um, I'm gonna throw this in here just because uh, it's it was a fun little seed that. Until you've seen what comes later, you never would catch this. But when the, when the cab pulls up, there's an Atmos sticker uh, on the front windshield. And that's something that's going to come up later. I think it's going to pay off in this Antarn stratagem. I saw that and I was like, what was that company's name? Because it was Atmos. It was very similar. And I'm like, yeah. is, is that the same thing or what is happening? I don't yeah, know. So Atmos or Atmos or something like but that. But I saw it and I'm like... I wonder what that's all about. Um, we already mentioned there was an amazing amount of tenant teeth in this episode. Oh, yeah, Not only the so greatest, amazing. Everybody is like dying, and he's over here smiling his absolute best. <laughs> it's so hilarious. So, and uh, and then a great line. Uh, Donna says, "I'm waving at fat." I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm waving at fat. Was there any other other stuff that you guys no. wanted to throw in there? Um. Before we get to the classic Who connection, honestly, generally, if it's not in here, I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's how it's happened for a lot of our stuff. We'll be like, we should write that down. Doesn't get written down. We don't talk about it on the episode. <laughs> didn't get written down. It didn't didn't happen. So, all right. Uh, so Jared is uh, has is back with us. He's actually got two segments this week, uh, but uh, we're gonna play his second one first because it's about this episode, and then we'll come back around to the other one. 
And uh, we had a lot of sonic screwdriver action this episode, so he decided to jump into some of that. Hello, noobs in the Whovian. It's Jared again with some classic Who connections for the episode Partners in Crime. Now, I could only come up with three really small connections for this episode, and they're really just production similarities or story tricks, if you will. So here they are. The bit where the Doctor and Donna narrowly miss each other throughout the first half of the episode, that's kind of reminiscent of the first Doctor and Ian and Barbara narrowly missing each other in the serial The Romans. They're going throughout ancient Rome, and they have two separate stories going on through those episodes, and they miss each other all throughout Rome just by fractions and hairs. And then the pantomime reunion was similar to a situation with the third Doctor and his companion, Joe Grant, in The Sea Devils. And finally, the Doctor having a companion that is not romantically enamored with the Doctor is much more common in Classic Who. So having the Doctor and Donna be just mates feels much more like a Classic Who style, which I prefer myself. So that's really short. And you brought up in the last episode about the uh, absence of the sonic screwdriver. So I thought I'd go on and do a uh, deep dive into the classic Who sonic screwdriver. Now, the sonic screwdriver made its first appearance in 1968 in the serial Fury from the Deep with the second Doctor. So the first Doctor didn't have a sonic screwdriver, didn't, didn't use it. So the second Doctor was the first time we see the sonic screwdriver, and it was mainly used as, surprise, a screwdriver that would work through sonic waves, just as the name would imply. Uh, he used it sparingly to dismantle equipment or bypass locks, and in the war games, he actually used it to remove and replace a screw in the handle of a gun which may be the only time in Doctor Who that the sonic screwdriver was actually used to manipulate a screw, or at least we see it used to manipulate a screw. So it looked at that time like a simple metal stick with a light at the end. Actually, it looked much like the sonic pen that we saw in Partners in Crime. Now, it changed its form for the third Doctor, and it had a red spherical head and this uh, yellow and black part on the body. Uh, it was very large and bright, and it even had replaceable heads for different functions. Uh, the third Doctor's inspiration for playing the Doctor came partly from his time serving in World War II with Ian Fleming, who was the writer for James Bond. So having a fancy gadget to go along with his snappy dressing and Who-mobile, it, it seems really fitting to me. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool that the third Doctor really takes the sonic screwdriver to another level. Now, at this point, the directors were trying to limit the sonic screwdriver to things that seemed feasible in real life, such as maybe detonating landmines, because vibrations from the sonic waves might actually be able to set them off. Now we get into the fourth Doctor, and his screwdriver became a little bit sleeker, a little bit uh, less audacious, 
but it had about the same head and now it was starting to be used for a lot more because we got a new producer during the fourth doctor's tenure that let the writers use the sonic screwdriver for a whole lot of stuff and here's just a list of some of the things in classic who that the sonic screwdriver was used for it was used to detonate landmines it was used to reverse the polarity of neutron flow. That actually happens multiple times. Uh, that's sort of a go-to, which I know might you might recognize as a connection to Star Trek. Um, it was used for safe cracking, creating holes in force fields, cutting things in half or breaking them apart. Uh, it was a scanner. Uh, it was used to ignite things. It was used to fuse wires, break hypnotic trances manipulate energy fields, and much, much more, of course. If you listened to the Noobs and the Whovian episode on Time Crash, you might remember that the fifth Doctor's screwdriver was destroyed in 1982 in the serial The Visitation because the showrunner wanted it out of the picture and no longer used as a story crutch. So we don't see a sonic screwdriver on TV until the 1966 TV movie with the seventh Doctor and it wasn't even really used that much in the movie. And it, again, looks very much the same that we see in Classic Who. It's a silver rod with a 90-degree head that reminds me of, like, a radar or maybe the tip of, like, an old 1950s laser gun or something. Um, but it's it, you can look it up online. It's, got a, it's still got that classic shape in there. So since this is Classic Who Connections... I won't talk about the screwdriver in New Who. You're watching it, and I don't want to spoil what's coming up uh, with, the, with the sonic screwdriver or anything with New Who, but I will say that the 11th Doctor's sonic screwdriver is my favorite, and I'll leave it at that. I had a lot of help for this one, from the TARDIS wiki to Wikipedia to even BBC's Doctor Who page. My memory wasn't actually all that helpful on this one to get all these details down. Is it ever really helpful? Maybe not so much these days. To wrap up, I'd like to say that I had fun with this episode. The pantomime scene was wonderful. It had me in hysterics. And I really liked Donna as a companion, so I was happy to see her back. And Rose's little cameo at the end was a great surprise. So I'd give it a solid seven sonic devices, of course and a creep level of 375 for the adipose. I mean, fat turning into creatures and walking out of someone's body, that's pretty creepy to me. So uh, that's where I came, how I came up with those levels. So as always, thank you for having me on, and I look forward to the next episode. All right, so um, Jared, thanks for that. Um, I did want to make one correction. I'm sure this was just, uh, he misspoke a little bit. He said the 1966 TV movie with the seventh Doctor. I think he was referring to the 1996 movie uh, with the eighth Doctor, I'm pretty sure. Is Doctor uh, Who around in 1966? Yes, that but that would have been. That was like the first, the first year, doctor, wasn't it? Was still around. Uh, no, I think it started in 1963. Uh, if memory serves, so uh, so it was around, but there uh, the movie he's referring to was 1996. So, uh, but yeah, we. Um I thought that was a, a great deep dive on the Sonic. Um, I got to agree with him. The uh, the Eleventh Doctor's uh, green tipped uh, Sonic is my favorite one, mainly because of that claw opening mm-hmm. at the top. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, I, we'll we'll throw a picture up on the uh, on the the website. Um, I've been looking at these, and I think this one you said was the Eighth Doctor's mm-hmm. is my favorite. 
Yeah, that one's pretty. That one's then pretty impressive. This picture here has so many. I don't even know what's happening anymore. Uh, yeah, we we found one picture that's got like twenty five different Sonics. So I don't know. What I don't even recognize any of these. And then there's one that looks kind of like a like a gun or something. It looks like you took the solos. last one with the yellow. Huh? No, I'm talking about this black one with like the weird. It looked like you took a gun and like tipped it up so it's like facing upwards. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's we'll have to put it in the description. Some There's of these a are lot really of weird. Them. So, um, but at any rate, um, that's that's fantastic. I, I again, I I wasn't sure, but I was thinking that the first Doctor never actually had the Sonic. I thought that was a later development. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've learned that the first, the sixth, and the seventh Doctors did not have a Sonic screwdriver on TV. Now again, obviously, in the comics and the audio adventures. But as far as we're concerned, we mostly stick with. On TV, yeah. so yeah, that's that's where we've we've ton, uh, tended to stick our our plant. So comic books don't matter. Yeah, well, we no just one knows. we don't have time. <laughs> be a lot of a lot a lot of catching up to do. So yep. Um, so Jared also gave it uh, seven out of ten Sonic devices. Uh, Trip, what are you going to give this guy? Uh, this guy, this episode. Overall impressions. What are you going to give it out of ten? I think this was a good like a good episode and. Uh, I mean, I kind of liked the little fat alien guys. <laughs> I remember around. we saw those on a bumper sticker once, and you were like, "Yeah, oh like, my gosh, yeah, y'all yeah, won't recognize that, but these are like the best creatures that are ever on Doctor Who." Yeah, like, um, I think like it was an overall good episode, but like it's kind of annoying when they kept doing the <laughs> narrow misses thing. I know that was that, that was great. That, it it was funny for a while, and then it was like. Come on! It's like you. you this is not realistic. You get out of the car. You walk around. The second you walk around the corner, this guy just walks out. Like the police box comes up as you're still walking away, and you don't even realize it. Okay, I just want to stop and ask a question, Corbin. So, so the TARDIS landing behind a car just moments after Donna walked out of sight is just totally unrealistic. But uh, TARDIS landing—that part you're fine with. Yes. That part that that's believable. Yes, because aliens are real. Okay, and then <laughs> and then human fat spontaneously generating into life uh, and <laughs> exiting the body and walking away. That part is it believable. Just walks and away, with, and you're fine with, but not the near misses. Yes, I just I just want to see if I got a grasp <laughs> yes. on the reality. It's a mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. You know what? <laughs> you know what? Things I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to prove that these fat creatures are plausible. Uh, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so Trip, we interrupted you. What is your overall rating? I think I'm going to give it an eight. Eight. This this eight. was a pretty solid. This was a pretty solid one. Eight out of ten. Chubby fat guys. <laughs> Chubby fat guys. Okay. Um, all right, Corbin. What are you What are you thinking? Um, I'm going to agree with Trip. This was probably an eight. And I, st- I still don't like the near misses, but I don't want to let that drag down my overall rating too much. Right. So, 8 out of 10 snaggletooths. 8 L- out little, of 10 snaggletooths. Snaggly tooths. Um, yeah, I, there were so many moments uh, in this episode where I, uh, I just was laughing hysterically and laughing mm-hmm. out loud. Um, I literally shouted... Uh, like it was a touchdown at the Super Bowl when uh, Rose turned around. I don't know uh, if y'all picked up on that. Yeah. I was just, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. You're very loud sometimes I when we're watching. So. And, it was and then so, she disappears. 
It was so great. I mean, does, it just like does this, came out of nowhere. Does this ever matter to us again? Like, does that show up ever again without giving too much spoilers? What in the world do you think I'm going to tell you right now? I don't know. What? What, what information do you I'm think just, I'm going to give you? I, I just don't want to leave it hanging there. It's like <laughs> she's there for That's some reason. A gives literally does not care at all about what this woman just told her. Walks off and disappears for literally no reason whatsoever. For literally no reason whatsoever. Just doesn't make yeah. sense. Well, I need answers. Yeah. Things don't line up. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a solid eight out of ten. Sonic Cages because I thought this one was uh, was a ton of fun. Sonic mm-hmm. Cages. Sonic Cages. Uh, so how about a how about a creep level? I wasn't actually even gonna bring up the creep level. I honestly wasn't either. Jared gave it a three seventy five for the creep <laughs> feature uh, creatures. Actually, they're uh, called what is it? Adiposes. Yeah, adiposians. Um, not but not creepy little fat creatures. I like creatures. creepy little fat creatures. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> it's actually pronounced adipose. Uh, Trip, what are you what are you gonna give this out of five hundred creep levels? I honestly don't think this was like creepy at all, except okay. for maybe like when their bodies are like I, when they're um, giving birth to the little fat babies. It's and, and they were always doing it on their back. How did they go? Albino Smurf. And then she just turns into a bunch of little baby thingies. Oh, it's so disturbing. <laughs> yeah, that that could have been uh, that could have been a lot grosser. And that's it the thing is, like, even though this was like this was extreme body horror. Like, <laughs> this is part of your body yes. popping off into the sink and then smiling and it waving at you. Walks it walks away. It just walks away. I'm waving at fat. And sets off the alarms uh, by going out the cat flap. But, yeah, um, apparently. Which, by the way, I didn't think that's what cat flap was. <laughs> he said, when I saw in the notes something referencing cat flap, I was like, what is a cat flap? <laughs> we call it a cat door or a dog door. I've never heard cat flap. That sounds like I have heard what's that. left over when the cat gets hit by the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you see the cat flap out on the out on the highway this morning? Um, but so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it 75 out of 500. So like not much, but we gotta throw in a little bit there to acknowledge the body horror of the creepy little fat creatures coming out yes. of people's bodies. However, once they once they actually leave the body, they are just adorable. And I know nothing they're, imposed. They're made to be cute. They are like when they're floating away, you know, and, and they're they're escaping. It's still. There's nothing threatening him about them whatsoever. So, Corbin, what are you what are you thinking? I'm gonna say fifty. Okay. Because it is weird how they just pop out of people's everywhere. Even oh wait, hang on. I just thought of something. I'm gonna amend mine. I'm gonna make mine seventy seven. Okay. So that's seventy five for everything that I've said so far, and then two more for. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> that was. <laughs> they got run over by the truck. <laughs> Turned into their own little cat flaps. <laughs> you, you made trip chairs <laughs> because of that. Right. Trip, what, what is what is yours then? Mine was seventy six, but cu- two points for the. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, so 78. Okay, we, we didn't if talk didn't, about this ahead no, of time, no. but I want to know your guys' theories. We we, we haven't had a, a, a an outlandish theory segment in a while, but I want to know your theories on what the heck was that Rose scene all about? Rose, an Stop. alien. 
Rose is an alien. That, that was not that Rose. Was that was an, an alien. alien. Rose is dead. That's that why she disappeared. And she was only there to give us a cliffhanger for literally no reason whatsoever. No, she was a okay. ghost. All right, so Trip, you think she's a ghost? Or I think she's like an- Doctor Who popped up for a second to like, you know how he was sitting at the edge of a star. Oh yeah, yeah when he talked to her. Away? When he talked with when Rose. When he talked with Rose. Uh-huh. I think it was kind of one of those no moments. It okay. is possible that she found the Doctor or a Time Lord within her universe. And was able to, say, go to the edge of collapsing star or whatever, to go into our universe and communicate. But but can I just remind you that that's impossible? <gasps> then how come the doctor did it? That it's impossible. We're explaining though. exactly what the doctor but did. But, but the... But, but... The walls are it's shut. It's on her side, it's not his. It's impossible for her to return. She didn't return. He, he didn't return. return. He used his side, uh-huh. and he wouldn't be able to do that for another long while. Okay, but on so what? Her okay, side, so you started out she saying can't. she's dead, or that was an alien. But now you're saying it's actually her using the same technology the doctor used, and just, just to just see a, a little bit of just home. an image of her, maybe just to see a maybe. little bit. That explains of home. why she disappears, similar to how he just phased out. Ah. Okay. All right. All here. right, noobs. I want to hear what you guys have to say, our listeners out there. Um, Whovians, we already know that you know um, uh, all of the answers to all of these questions. So, uh, so noobs, she will hear, be important later. We want to hear your um, your theories and what you what you guys think about it, um, because it was like I said. I just I did. I screamed. I was like, yes, yeah! it's amazing. A um, lot of fun. So, uh, listener input this week. We didn't have any um, any regular input, no new reviews, um, but we did get some listener input in the form of Jared doing an extra segment for us, where he was responding to some of our stuff from the last episode. So, Corbin, go ahead and cue that up for us. Hello, noobs in the Whovian. After listening to your episode on An Unearthly Child, you had a lot of questions that I felt were worth recording a response to. So I just want to go through some of those things that I heard. Hopefully I can give some explanations and some corrections. At this point in the story, the TARDIS has a faulty navigational chip, so they cannot control where or when they land. The doctor can't control those factors. That's why Barbara and Ian need to use the Dalek time machine to get home. You were talking at one point about how it looked like they were running through the same jungle scene over and over again. That was very true. To do this at that time, they had multiple episodes where they had jungle scenes, and they would fill the soundstage with plants, and the actors would actually run in place, and the stagehands would hit them with branches to make it look like they were running through the jungle. Now, you talked about Susan a good bit and how you didn't really love her character, or at least that's the impression that I got. And you were perceptive. The actor, Ford, didn't really love that character. So Ian and Barbara really do become the companions early on. And Susan, she's just not really written that well. So Ford left the show in series two after just 51 episodes because she felt that the character was not allowed to develop and she was constantly playing the role of the helpless screaming woman. She felt it was just too repetitive and they didn't give her enough to do. 
Now, you talked about her age, and her age is given in uh, different episodes, uh, but various numbers over a lot of times, kind of like the doctor's age is never really settled in the show, and those those ages don't match up ever, but they're all under 100, so she is clearly younger than the doctor. And here's an interesting tidbit. According to the Doctor Who magazine, Susan had a different name on Gallifrey. Susan was kind of adopted once they started traveling. Her name in Gallifreyan translates into Rose. Let your mind be blown by that one. So moving on from Susan, we do have some continuity uh, challenges here. Susan naming the TARDIS time and relative dimension in space, T-A-R-D-I-S, it doesn't really fit into the whole story, and I haven't really seen a great explanation of it. So it's we have some things that are mentioned in these early serials that don't quite fit through the whole of, of the picture of Doctor Who, and I think they just let that go. You know, they, they feel they're minor enough, or they feel like uh, people can come up with their own explanation for it if they want. If you're only following canon from the TV series, we also don't really get an, an explanation for the broken chameleon circuit until the last serial of the fourth Doctor, which is Legopolis. So, which incidentally starts with the Doctor going to Legopolis to try to fix the chameleon circuit. He says that when escaping from Gallifrey, they took a TARDIS from a repair shop, and that's why some of the parts aren't working again in that episode. Again, this doesn't work perfectly into the whole of the story because the Chameleon Circuit obviously worked when they first came to 1960s London, and then it didn't work after the first Doctor uh, went on to other planets, and he seemed confused as to why. So it doesn't seem like it was broken from the start when they took it. So now in the comic, Hunters of the Burning Stone, we have the 11th Doctor going back to 1963 and destroying the Chameleon Circuit, so the mental image of the TARDIS as a police box would be etched into human culture and history. So we do have an explanation from the comics, but not really from the TV series. Now in doing this research, I did find out that a TARDIS has a default look of either plain gray cabinets or tall columns, which would explain why the Master's TARDIS is often a column. Apparently, in my classic Who watching, I missed that before, which is ironic because it's from one of my favorite serials from the second Doctor, The War Games. They, they talk about it in that, in that serial. A quick correction, the Doctor's companions are referred to as companions throughout Classic Who, even from early on. I can't say exactly when the first time they're referenced as companions, but it is mentioned, I'm pretty sure, within that first series. So it's um, all the way through, they are known as companions. Uh, so that's just a, a term that was, that was used. The Doctor calls them companions. They referred to themselves as the Doctor's companions. So they do, they do use that. So those were the, the big points that I heard from your episode and just wanted to address from your Classic Who experiences. All right, Jared, thanks for setting the record straight on some of that stuff there. Um, I, You know, I actually, I kind of was aware of the TARDIS's blank appearance 
and I wondered if that was if that had anything to do with the whole the masters looking like a, a column on a regular basis, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure if that was like a, a an intentional connection or, or what. So yeah. um, there is there is an episode that we'll get to eventually where we'll see a blank TARDIS, like a, a, a TARDIS in its natural state. Um, very, is it very large? Uh, no, no, no. It's actually it, it's it's actually if I remember right. It, smaller than the police so box. So it's still bigger on the inside. Oh, yes. It's always, yes. Yeah, that's that's a standard I'd love thing. to see, based on what we see of the TARDIS, someone's drawing like of schematic. what it would look like. The only problem with that is that it's not static. It can change. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, thankfully... Um, wow. I don't know if they did any of this. So much in- confusingness about that. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know how much they developed the TARDIS in Classic Who, but in New Who, we there's some stuff coming down the road, uh, especially with Eleven. Eleven does some neat, neat stuff uh, with the TARDIS uh, itself, and and really kind of dives into that. You know, well, what yeah. what does that mean? If it's bigger on the inside, what does that look like? What do you mean it's alive? What would that be like? It's uh, alive. Yeah. How, how does that work? Exactly. It has a heart. Uh, right. Wait, right. What? Um, really dives into some of that stuff, and um, there's a, there's a uh, an episode in particular that I'm thinking of that is um, heartbreaking mm-hmm. when when you when you watch that one. So, um, but also a lot of fun. So, um, guys, uh, coming up, we we're just trucking right along. This is this has been like our first like regular old fashioned regular Doctor Who episode in in couple of months for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it was really good to be back in the saddle not only doing the show, but now we're back to the normal format of the show and everything. And that's what we've got coming up for the next several episodes. Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, maybe, uh, let's see, after The Unicorn and the Wasp, which is episode seven, uh, we've got a timey-wimey coming up. And so um, we'll have some more information about that as we get closer. However, next time, we're just moving on to episode two, The Fires of Pompeii, where we're going to see two future familiar faces. Yeah. Which you might have recognized in the next time. Yes, and actually, yes, both of those faces appeared in the next time. So, Whovians out there, did you catch them both? I know you caught the one. I know you think you're slick because you caught the one. I'm did sure you catch s- them both? I'm sure some new fans caught the one, but... Possibly, possibly. So. I didn't catch any. Uh, <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so guys, um, until then, um, make sure, as always, um, you can reach us at uh, noobsandthehoovian at gmail.com. You can uh, message us or write on the wall or whatever at facebook.com slash noobsandthehoovian. Um, you can go to noobsandthehoovian.com and you can see all of the uh, show notes, um, some links to some stuff. Um, don't forget, we'll, um, we'll ha- go ahead and put our Amazon affiliate link back in there so if you want to sign up for BritBox and watch some classic Who, you can do that. You get a seven-day free trial. And again, if you use our link, it doesn't change the experience for you at all, but it does help us out ever so slightly. As always, guys, Noobs in the Whovian is a production of Master Closet Studios, where it is always smaller on the inside. Your senior producer is Austin Reason. Our audio engineer is Trip Reason. Corbin Reason... Corbin Reason is our production editor and special thanks to TARDIS.Wikia.com for the trivia and to uh, Jared for the Classic Who connection. Uh, Guys, make sure that wherever you found us, you subscribe, you like, leave us a review, give us some stars 
and shares with a friend. Until next time, my name is Austin. I'm the Hoovy, and these are my sons, Corbin and Trip. And, and we're the Hoovies. And we will see you guys next time. Goodbye. Coming up, several minutes worth of bloopers, so you might want to get in a safe space where you can <laughs> laugh. Warning. Bloopers in three, two, one. Be whip. And this is the one where the doctor fights a nurse. Well, a matron. Well, a matron Cofelia of the five straightened castle clan. <laughs> got it! <laughs> Just keep rolling, please. <sighs> hey, remember Donna? Well, she remembers the doctor. She's been inve investigating every strange thing she can because she's sure that eventually he'll show up at one of them. As it happens, she and the doctor both start investigating weight loss company Adipose, its owner, Mrs. Foster, and their claims of miraculous results. But something strange is happening. Donna interviews an Adipose customer, and she vanishes, leaving behind the weirdest smurf Donna has ever seen. The doctor gets a ding on his fatty wetty to <laughs> You roast that! Why can't you keep a straight face? <laughs> fatty wetty detector! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. We're a minute and 35 in. Holy crap. Okay. Hey, remember Donna? Well, she remembers the doctor. And she's been investigating every strange and dangerous thing that she can because she's sure that he'll show up at one of them eventually. As it happens, she and the doctor... <laughs> what? What happened? What is funny? I thought the term fatty laddie. <laughs> <laughs> Just delete that. <laughs> if, if he, uh. We've had too much fun, and I've had too much sugar, I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah, probably. All right. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. Hey, remember Donna? Well, she remembers the doctor. She's been investigating every strange thing that she can, because she's sure he'll show up at one of them eventually. As <laughs> Stop! <laughs> Should I read it? I swear! <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, why? Why, why, why? Can oh. I read it or Corbin or someone? Right. I have three timestamps in this one paragraph. All right, shh. Hey, remember Donna? Well, she remembers the doctor. <laughs> I can't do it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I will. All right, all right, all right. I'll, uh, does somebody else want to give it a try? Go for it. Corbin. Uh, okay. Donna is ready to finally go with the doctor, but he seems <laughs> reluctant. Oh my gosh. Wow. Donna is ready. <laughs>